just realized <clears throat> as we were singing that that this is the <clears throat> coming up the stairs like that. That's the last time. Right? <clears throat> Goodness. I'll probably be okay if I don't look at you. <laughs> so I'll just, <clears throat> I'll just talk to you with my hand up like this all morning. <clears throat> When a congregation <clears throat> gathers for worship, it's an event unlike any other. People get together for all kinds of reasons to enjoy a concert or to witness a performance or watch a movie, cheer on an athlete or a favorite team, rally a political party, even gape at a fire. But there's no assembly in our world quite like Christian worship. It can take place in a myriad of settings. It seems very ordinary, very common. It takes place around the world. Davison and Yana, examples of that for us today. And it's so, so neat that they're here to remind us of that today, that God's good church, his kingdom is being continued to be built around the world and we're a part of that. The reality is that Christian worship is absolutely unique and extraordinary. There's a mystery to it. Something of the eternal. And we find ourselves standing in a sense with one foot in the visible, the other in the invisible, the finite interfacing with the infinite. Not everybody gathered may recognize that. Someone can be here just out of habit or sense of duty. It can be a whole jumble of intermingling motives, hurts and joys and questions and sorrows, the need for confession, building of conviction, delight of praise, the solace of love, the memory and thanks of so many past graces. When a pastor comes before a beloved congregation to share a final message, worship takes on an added dimension, a depth, tenderness, richness that can't quite be explained. There are so many, so many memories. Joys and sorrows and outings and classes, laughter, tears, more meetings than I dare recount, <laughs> dedications, baptisms, weddings, funerals, Christmas Eves, Easters, great times around so many tables and homes and parks and mountains and restaurants and here at church. <clears throat> hilarious times like the time during Advent years ago when I was illustrating a message message on joy in the old sanctuary we call Levi's house now I was talking about Snoopy peanuts, dog Snoopy I was illustrating joy and I was talking about when Snoopy's excited and happy he just goes up on his toes he goes up on his toes, his ears fly up in the air, and he dances around. And 
In that message, when I went up like that, my belt buckle caught the shelf underneath the lectern part of the pulpit. And it just went bang, and it ripped the shelf apart. It ripped it loose. There was this tremendous boom. And I went, wow. And at that time, the, the deacons would put a glass of water on the shelf underneath the, the pulpit. Well, that cup, that glass tipped over. It ran down my leg. And then, and then the water ran into the electrical and microphone outlet on the floor and sparks began to fly. And I went, whoa, fire. <laughs> there wasn't any fire, but there were a lot of sparks. It was exciting. My waiters sprang a leak one morning when I was, had several baptisms. It wasn't just a little leak. I could feel water running down my leg. And by the time I was finished, there were several baptisms. By the time I was finished, my left boot, my left leg was full up to above my knee. And I could hardly drag myself out of the baptistry, up the steps and in... And I had, to, we were still in the old sanctuary, I had to pour the boot, water out of the boot in the sink, and my pants leg was wet up above my knee, my sock was soggy, I wrang everything out the best I could, and I preached with one shoe off and one shoe on, <laughs> in a soggy, soggy sock. <laughs> somebody asked me, somebody asked me a while back what my most embarrassing moment was in all these years. <laughs> I forgot a wedding once. <laughs> as soon as the phone rang, I remembered where I was supposed to be. It wasn't being held here. It was down the road a ways. And thankfully, they waited. And when I got there, they were very forgiving. They left the church after that. But the... <laughs> That's not, that part's not true. That's, that part's not true. In September 1978, when we first came here, when, when we first came here, I could not have imagined still serving this congregation in September 2016. When Garen and I came, we were in our 20s. Now I'm in my 60s. Garen is still in her 30s. <laughs> standing here, standing here now in this spot, this spot, back then I would have been outside on the edge of a small square of parking lot near a bunch of dry weeds. This was outside. How we acquired the additional land in order to be able to build this facility was nothing short of a miracle. <laughs> I'm going to leave the telling of that story to Ralph Reed when we have our party in October. But I'll tell you, Ralph and I can both tell you that it was an amazing set of circumstances that God provided for this congregation for expanded ministry. It was an amazing morning of prayer with him. 
Many of you know that when we built this sanctuary, before it was completed, we, we had the contractor come in, clean up the cement before the carpet was laid, and we marked out where the platform was going to be. We marked that out on the floor. And one Sunday morning, we came in here with Sharpie markers, and we wrote favorite Bible verses all over the floor in here. On the floor under this pulpit are my favorite life verses from Psalm 71, 17, and 18. Since my youth, O God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation and your might to all who are to come. So standing here now, how do we begin to capture in words a, a pastor's heart toward the close of a ministry with you all? You speak of our care and love for you, but you all have loved us and been with us through some of life's most wonderful moments and seen us through some of life's most difficult of challenges. Thankfully, our, our text from the book of Acts tells us about the Apostle Paul's heart toward the close of his ministry, and what he shared is so appropriate for all of us. Luke, the writer of Acts, tells us that Paul was on his last trip to Jerusalem. It was the third missionary trip, He'd stopped at Miletus, only about 30 miles from Ephesus, and he'd been visiting all the places of his ministry through the years, Thessalonica, Berea, Philippi, Corinth. Every place, each congregation held its own memories that wouldn't fade, relationships that kept tugging at him. The ship put into land. Paul realized how much he desired one last face-to-face -face talk with his dear friends at Ephesus. And so he sent for them. He'd lived there with them for three years. It hadn't been easy, but it had been full, and God had done great work there among them. And now the time was short. The ship was due to sail. He wanted one last visit with all those folks to whom he would never go back. And we're going to take a look at, at his parting words to them because it just seems smart to look at what a veteran pastor and, and missionary says is important after all these years. Paul's words here in Acts chapter 20 are not shining oratory. They weren't delivered in a spacious sanctuary to a large congregation. No, handful of people gathered, small fellowship of Christ's followers assembled. Here in this, we don't hear Paul, the brilliant theologian. What we're privileged to be overhearing is an intimate, confiding summary of ministry from a pastor's heart with a call to those who follow to continue it in faithfulness and to stay steady. 
It's one of the most moving passages in Scripture. So if you've got your Bible or if there's one near you, open it up. There's some stuff you can take a look at. It's not on the screen. (coughs) Open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. And what we see there is what's called Paul's farewell to the Ephesian elders. It's in three parts. There's Paul's personal testimony, specific charge to them, and his prayer for them. Now his testimony is found in verses 18 to 24 and verses 33 to 35. It's in two parts because it's interrupted by his charge to the elders, found in verses 25 to 31. Verse 36 tells us that he finally knelt down with all of them and prayed. Now, he begins by recalling their precious fellowship in the Lord's work and and times of worship. He dwells for a moment on the gospel that he sought to preach. He says, repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. Turns to kind of glance at the unknown future that he's about to travel. Tells them, frankly, that he won't be returning or seeing them again here on this earth. And he vows that they'll always be a significant part of his heart and life. And first of all, he reminds them of his commitment to ministry. Verse 19 there of chapter 20. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing. Now the foundational understanding of this is to realize that the ministry, what he tells them, is that the ministry is not his. It was not his. And it's a good reminder to all of us. In the deepest sense, ministry is not ours. Ministry is not mine. This is not my church. This is not my congregation. This is the Lord's church. The ministry belongs to Jesus and with us as his humble servants. Soren Kierkegaard called it the majestic obedience of submission. Listen to that, the the majestic obedience of submission. It takes a lifetime of ministry to come to grips with that. A while back when I was dealing with a particularly difficult time in my life, I had a dream. Now, if you've been around here for any length of time, you know that some of the sweetest answers to our prayers come as the result of dreams that I've experienced. I'll just share this with you. I don't share this often, and I didn't share it with the other two times this morning. Uh, Ever since I was a little little boy, I've had dreams. The uh, one that... I'll share with you at this point. It's a tender, tender time. I don't often talk about this, but I'll share it with you all. I was a little guy. One night I had a dream. I heard singing. I was a hymns. The congregation was singing. I was outside. I was coming from a church down a road. I went down toward the sound of the singing, toward the church. I walked in to the church, little guy, little boy. Church had 
all kinds of people. I was at the back. Jesus was up front. He was preaching. I stood there. I don't remember what he said in that. I just remember that Jesus was up front. And then he stopped. And he pointed to me. And he said, you'll be the preacher. That scared the living willies out of me. And there was a time through, through my teenage years that I desperately fought that. I tried like everything not to do that because <clears throat> really I am so shy that to stand up in front of people just still scares me. And that's why every Sunday when I walk up these stairs and turn around, Psalm 71, 17 and 18 is on my heart and mind. Well, it wasn't wasn't too long ago I had a dream. And as I said, those dreams happen. In this particular dream, I was riding a bus with my family. The road was awful. The road was bumpy. The ride was uncomfortable. The bus was being jostled around and we were bumping along the road. The road was windy and it was narrow and it was not a good trip. The ride was awful. And so (laughs) I made my way up to the front of the bus to talk with the driver. Now I never saw his face. I stopped in the aisle toward the front. All I ever saw of the driver were his eyes as he looked up at me in the rearview mirror. And I would look, I would see his eyes as he would look up at me. He was driving. And I said, I don't like this road. And he replied, you're not the driver. And then I asked, where are we going? And he looked up at me again in the mirror and said, trust me, I know. And then I asked, well, what am I supposed to be doing then? And one more time he looked up at me with a twinkle in his eyes this time. And he said, just enjoy the ride and love your family. Now, the amazing thing was when I got off the bus and walking around the front, I glanced at the license plate. And it read, capital P, capital S, then a dash, 31, dash, 1415. P.S. 31, dash, 1415. When I woke up, I remembered it. And I... I went down to my office. I looked up Psalm 31, verses 14 and 15. Psalm 31, 14 and 15 says, I trust in you, Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hand. The word for me then and for all of us now is that we are not in charge. Trust him in the journey. 
He's redeemed us. He holds us steady. He loves us. Life is his. This church is his. It belongs to Jesus. He's the driver. Pray for guidance. Listen to his leading. We're along for the ride as his humble servants. We recognize that. We can love with his love, are able to forgive by his grace, are energized by his power, released to face the future with his hope. And with Paul, we never want to forget before whom we humbly bow. But also there in verse 19 is the phrase, and with tears. Now, he mentions, he mentions his tears again in verse 31. And there are moments when we're with one another that the deepest language we speak is the vulnerable, empathetic, compassionate message in a tear. Through the years we've laughed. We have laughed a lot. You tell me over and over again about my awful jokes. You've even accused me of having a terrible joke book somewhere. Well, I just come up with them in all kinds of ways, and there, you know, there they are. You know, we've laughed a lot, but we've also shed a lot of tears together. And so often I've reminded us that life, this side of heaven, is fragile. It is not an easy journey. That's why Paul mentions the times of severe testing there in verse 19 as well. Through life's tough times comes a new admiration for the courage and the faithfulness of all those that we've known down through the years who have been part of this fellowship of faith who are now with the Lord in heaven. Just yesterday, Joyce Stacy. Not too many weeks ago, Ron Lind, part of the 930 worship. We could name those folks, so many, through the years. People who have reminded us through their conquering faith that pain is inevitable, but misery is optional. How many times in a funeral message have I told us that we don't have all the answers this side of heaven? I don't know of anyone who will manage to make it through this life, life in this world, unscathed by trouble, unbruised by pain, unbothered by disease, or untouched by sorrow. Sooner or later, in some way, somehow they come to us all because pain, grief, has a pass key to every house. That's why I've shared with you so often one of my most treasured quotes for life and ministry from Ian McLaren, also known as John Watson. Be kind. Everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. And in a profound way, that sums up the humility, the tears, the testing that Paul is speaking of here with his dear friends. But he goes on, he mentions the importance in verse 20 of not hesitating to preach what is helpful. I've sincerely attempted to do that to proclaim the exciting adventure of knowing Jesus Christ, to know him in your life, in your heart, his profound love for you, his forgiveness offered to us, his presence to transform our, our living and, and to give us his strength and his courage 
His power that troubles can't diminish nor death destroy. His provision for life now and for life eternally, forever. Through the years, sometimes my help has been readily sought. At other times, I was the last person somebody wanted to see. Which only bears out the truth that every pastor has been called to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. <laughs> now, because Paul was faithful in his own ministry, he could clear, with a clear conscience call the Ephesian elders to their own faithfulness with their congregation. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock. Be shepherds. Be shepherds of the church of God. Be on your guard. What we see here is a call to deep commitment to the people God has entrusted to us. A deep commitment to the people God entrusts to us. So first, there's the commitment to ministry, and then that ministry is focused on a commitment to lovingly care as shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood, meaning Jesus' sacrifice and death on the cross. Once, never to be repeated, substitutionary sacrifice for the sin of the world. A couple of vital things that Paul is saying here. Keep watch. Be on your guard. We do not prepare for the crisis in the midst of the crisis. Is what he's saying. Never try to live your life that way. We don't prepare for the crisis in the midst of the crisis. Be watchful, diligent in your own life. And then you who are called to leadership, be watchful, be diligent in your leadership as people called to guide God's flock. He's reminding us of the tremendous value of each one, God's priority, God's power. The call here is to leaders imitate Jesus, to take care of his sheep, to watch over his flock Watch out for their spiritual health. Defend them from the enemy. Let no one do damage from within or from without. John Stott, in a little book called The Living Church, wonderfully subtitled Convictions of a Life, Lifelong Pastor, says, says this about the church, how precious you are in God's sight. God the Father loves you. Christ died for you. The Holy Spirit has appointed me your pastor. As the three persons of the Trinity are committed to your welfare, it's a privilege for me to serve you. So say I. It has been a privilege for Garen and me to serve you and to serve with you. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying as well to the Ephesian partners in the faith. Following his reminder to them of his own commitment to ministry and then his charge to love and commitment for God's people, the church, he now commits them to God. Verse 32, now, now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. 
could also say being sanctified because it's the process of being made more and more holy or more and more like Jesus. Now, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are being made more like Jesus. Paul looks around at those folks with whom he's shared so much, and he says, I commend you to God. Entrusted. Assigned. Committed. This morning, how could we say it better? Some of us have grown old in the faith and may not have many more earthly miles to travel. I commend you to God. Young people here through the morning, young people that I have dedicated and baptized, young people looking down the years, wondering and kind of groping sometimes, wondering what life is about and what lies ahead out there. I watched you grow up. You're heading out on your own. I commend you to God. There are those of us who are experiencing great joys, others crushing sorrow. I commend you to God. Some who are thinking about giving up on a marriage, maybe. Don't work through the difficulty. Get the counsel you need. Stay steady. I commend you to God. Some who are seeking an ever deepening experience of Jesus, his grace. Some who are on the edge of making a first-time decision for Jesus, then you've been putting it off. Just kind of been hesitant in all of that. Don't put it off. I commend you to God. Some who are knowing the flow of living in the Lord's supernatural power. Some who are finding the road of faith bounded by doubt and difficulty. Who are realizing the deep need of prayer for help and courage and comfort and guidance. I commend you to God. Some struggling to communicate the faith to the dearest people of your life. And every time you try... They just put up another wall and they reject you and they reject the message and you're ready to quit. Don't. Stay steady in loving and communicating your faith to the folks that you love. I commend you to God. Some are ready to take the next steps of the adventure of service and ministry commend you to God. Some are just uncertain of the future. Some are dealing with loneliness, anxiety, 
Some are dealing with all of the questions of leadership and wondering how you can, how you can meet the varied expectations of the congregation over these next months and years. I commend you to God. Never forget to whom you belong, for what you're destined. Change is inevitable. It's healthy and right and good. Share the grace with others that you have so freely been given by Jesus. No one has ever said anything or done anything to you that is more harmful or hurtful than what you have said or done to Jesus, and yet he continually extends his grace. Let go of the petty irritations. Magnify the best. So far as it depends on you, live at peace. In the deepest sense, love is an act of the will. It is not just an emotion. We decide time after time to do the loving thing. Live out the loving things. We move forward seeking to see the church through Jesus' eyes. And what he wants to do in us and then through us, how he's calling, gifting, transforming, equipping, and sending us together, unified, out there into the world he died to save. He does not lead me year by year, nor even day by day. But step by step, my path unfolds. My Lord directs my way. Tomorrow's plans I do not know. I only know this minute, but he will say, this is the way by faith. Now walk in it. And I am so glad that it is so. Today's enough to bear, and when tomorrow comes, his grace shall far exceed its care. What need to worry then or fret? The God who gave his son holds all our moments in his hand, and he gives them one by one. We love you. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. I can build you up and give you an inheritance. All those are, who are becoming more and more like Jesus. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, thank you. <clears throat> thank you for years together and the fact that we can spend eternity together. Thank you for life now and life to come. Thank you for the joy and the peace, the hope, all the blessing that is ours through the fellowship of the church. Guide this dear people, this great congregation. 
be with them through the days, the months, the years ahead. Strengthen them in ministry and in service. Guide them in purpose. Unite them in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And love them. Love them. As they love you. We pray it in your name. Amen.